You're listening to a very special Long Box Crusade episode, the 12 Days of Crusademus, 2018. Been to the Walmart. Man, that's just the stuff I got for Christmas. Well, you cleaned up, what'd you get? Four big mud tires, three shotgun shells, two hunting dogs, and some parts to a Mustang GT. You fool, you got Jeff first 12 days to Christmas. I know that, I got it covered. Look over in the corner. That's yours too? Yeah, 12 pack of Bud, 11 wrestling tickets, 10 of Copenhagen, 9 years probation, 8 table dancers, 7 packs of Red Man, 6 cans of Spam. Tires, three shotgun shells, two hunting dogs, and some parts to a Mustang GT. Man, these ain't normal Christmas presents. No, oh, they're redneck gifts. Redneck gifts? Yeah, you know, like if you buy your wife earrings that double as fishing lures, or if you can burp the entire chorus of jingle bells. Perhaps if you think the nutcracker is something you did off the high dive, or if you've ever misspelled anything in Christmas lights. Or if you leave cold beer and pickled eggs for Santa Claus. What's wrong with that? I didn't say anything wrong with it. It's hard to beat. Twelve pack of Bud, eleven wrestling tickets, ten of Copenhagen, nine years probation, eight table dancers, seven packs of Red Man, six Kansas bath. Seven tomahawks tomahawking. Hello and welcome to the seventh installment of the 12 Days of Crusademus brought to you by the Longbox Crusade. The 12 Days of Crusademus is our gift to the comic-loving podcast community to celebrate the holiday season. And we're celebrating this joyous season by sharing with you some often overlooked comic book titles that may have gotten by you in the past. Each day of the 12 Days of Crusademus will bring you a new hidden gem of a comic series brought to you either by one of our jingling all the way co-hosts or one of our guests until we get all the way to December 25th, Christmas Day. I'm your host for this seventh day of Crusademus, Delvin Williams, a.k.a. The Dark Web. And here are the jolly old elves joining me for today's unwrapping. First up, we will start with Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Bad. A prescription for danger. There it is, my house in good old Cleveland Street. How could I ever forget it? And there I am with that dumb round face and that stupid stocking cap. But no matter, Christmas was on its way. I'm doing good, everybody. Ah, good. I'm good that you're good. And, you know, don't point any rifles towards your face. You'll shoot dry out. I am super impressed, my friend. You nailed it in one. <laughs> you normally do not step up to the movie plate like that. I am very impressed. Merry Christmas. I am normally don't. I'm like one for ten with one home run. <laughs> Strong 100 batting average. <laughs> Moving on, we have the creator of the Longbox Crusade, Pat Sampson, DJ Cristados. Pat, how are you this fine crusade mistake? feeling very jolly and holly today. So I just want to say Merry soon to be Christmas to everybody. Great to be here around the fireplace with everybody. Merry soon to be Christmas to you, Pat. Oh, thank you. And everybody else, even though I haven't chimed in yet. And next we have Weasel Skull, a.k.a. Jason Albrecht, a.k.a. Mary Jane, a.k.a. Sean Connery. How are you this fine Crusademus Day, Jason? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm going to throw one out. I'm going to see if my brother uh, Jared, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist, a.k.a. Death Probe, remember this. Here we go. One, two, three. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Hey, drop a penny in the old man's hat. If you haven't got a 
penny and a, a halfpenny will do. If you haven't got a halfpenny, then God bless you. Christmas is coming. Christmas, Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. No, we're not going to do this to them. But yes, I know that song well from the Muppets Christmas album. All right. That takes me back. I'm in great Christmas spirit, ready to do this show and talk about some tomahawk tonight. So I'm excited. And freaking tastic. And joining us around the fireplace with hot cocoa in hand is our special guest, Rob Kelly. You may know him from his Fire and Water Network podcast, Film and Water, MASHcast, Digest Cast, and probably many, many others that I've missed. Please welcome Rob Kelly. What do you have gift wrapped in that stocking, Rob? As you heard in the singing intro, today is a seven tomahawks tomahawking, which means we're unwrapping... Tomahawk number 131 from DC Comics. Brief history of Tomahawk the series was it started in the 1950s. It was a typical sort of frontier adventure series about Tomahawk, who was an agent for George Washington during the time of the Revolutionary War. And with his partner, Dan Hunter, they would go on adventures. And it was a book that lasted through the 1950s all the way into around 1970. And its last 10 issues were really quite remarkable, which is the reason that I'm here to talk about. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Give us a brief history on the series and the creators. Most of the books were drawn by an artist named Fred Ray, who was a comic book artist, but also like a historical artist and focusing on Revolutionary War type work. And when, when Tomahawk was popular, it was when Davy Crockett was on the air and it was all that kind of Americana stuff. Now, over time, obviously, if you go to Mike's Amazing World and you look at the cover history of Tomahawk, Tomahawk lasted 140 issues. Plus, he had a solo feature in Star Spangled Comics, which is where he first appeared. And actually, a bunch of times he, he shared that book with Robin the Boy Wonder, and he got the cover over Robin, the Boy Wonder, which is oh. kind of amazing oh. when you think about it. But if you go to Mike's Amazing World and you look at the history of the Tomahawk comic, you will see that clearly DC got worried about the appeal of just a quote-unquote boring adventure book because by issue number 58, they were already running stories with titles like The Frontier Dinosaur. Yes. Uh, <laughs> some of the other issues I think are, are worthy of remarking about number 61, The Fabulous Frontier Chimp. <laughs> number 79, The Alien Indian Chief. Number 100, The Weird Water Tomahawk, and my personal favorite, number 103, The Frontier Frankenstein. So, you can tell they were sort of running out of gas on this book, and so by the time they got to um, issue number 131, with no prior warning, they moved the book up, I think something like 30 years ahead of time, the book went from being Tomahawk to Son of Tomahawk, and the main character became the son of the main character, and Tomahawk was all of a sudden this grizzled old man, and that strip, Son of Tomahawk, ran for just 10 issues, 131 through 131 40, but they are some of my favorite comics of all time. Rob, wow. were these, like this one that we read, it had a few other stories in it. Were they all like that? Yeah. I don't know whether they realized that the artist Frank Thorne, who is one of my all-time favorite comic book artists, I guess he couldn't do like a whole book. So they would do like an initial Son of Tomahawk feature, which would be like 16, 17 pages. And then they would have reprints. Luckily, Tomahawk had a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, in this issue alone, they reprint a story by Frank Frazetta. And there's mm. another thing by Joe Kubert. I mean, the editor on this book was Joe Kubert, my former instructor. The writing was by Bob Kaniger and the art was by Frank Thorne, who had actually been drawing the regular Tomahawk book before this. You could tell that DC was seeing if they could spice the book up a little, because right around number 125, they started doing covers by Neil Adams. I think trying yeah. to make it a little more contemporary and exciting looking, and obviously sales didn't pick up because, bang, all of a sudden, Tomahawk looks like Aunt May, you know, and his coonskin <laughs> cap, and now we're dealing with this kind of proto-hippie son of Tomahawk kind of guy, but I discovered these comics at a back 
issue bin. I'd never heard of it before, but it looked really interesting. And I've just fallen in love with them. And I will never miss an opportunity to talk about them because they just they're so unheralded. They've never been reprinted. So I think they're just really remarkable comics. Did Frank Frenzetta draw the last story in this? Is that? Yes, that's a Frank oh. Frenzetta back when he was still doing comics. Oh, I was trying to figure out who that was. I was like, this art is really spectacular. Yeah. Now I understand why. Yeah, they had a lot of really great stuff. And so the one that I decided to bring to this recording is the first issue, which is 131, which is, again, it's the first one called Son of Tomahawk. The story is called Hang Em High by, as I said, Bob Kaniger, Frank Thorne, and Joe Kubert. And do you guys want me to do just a brief synopsis of the story? Sure. Yeah. All right. So in the rocky walls of Coffin Canyon, a young woman is being pursued by a black-hatted gunman on a horse. Watching from above is a young man named Hawk, who swoops down into the canyon and rescues the girl. The gunman fires, hits Hawk's horse, and they grab them both. Shortly, Hawk is about to be hanged when a shot rings out, severing the noose around Hawk's head. Several more shots are fired with unerring precision, knocking the guns out of the hands of the hangman's goons. Finally, a tomahawk sails through the air, and we see who is behind this rescue. The legendary frontier hero known as Tomahawk, now a grizzled old man. The hangman and his band try and fight Tomahawk and his son, but they are driven off. Later, on a remote hillside, the young girl Hawk rescued is formally introduced to him, Tomahawk, and his wife, Moonfawn. She also meets Hawk's younger brother, Young Eagle, and his uncle, Wise Owl. Hawk tells his father that with the hangman threatening revenge, none of them are safe, so he heads into town to confront him directly. The young girl, named Angela, insists on coming along over Hawk's objections. Hawk rides to the town, hoping to lure the hangman out. Later that night, in an old mine, the judge and his men try and get the drop on Hawk, but he's too fast and smart for them. He shoots the judge dead. On a nearby hill, Tomahawk observes what has happened and smiles in satisfaction that his son can take care of himself. So what did you guys think of this? Are we just talking about the Tomahawk issue or the comic in its entirety? Just this story. This is what, I mean, I like a lot of the other content, but it was the Sun Tomahawk stories that really fascinated me. As I was reading through it and I read the whole thing, but I came to a place in there where there was two pages of just words. And I thought, wait a minute, they're trying to get me to learn something. (laughs) (laughs) What are they doing to my funny books? I read them too. I was quite annoyed. I was angry the entire time I read it. What the hell is going on here? I know what they're trying to do. So the Tomahawk story. I thought it was pretty good. As fans of the show know, I rate comics on humor, heart, spectacle, and art. And I gotta say, there wasn't much humor in the comic. It it was pretty grim, but there was a lot of heart. I really enjoyed the scene with his family. As a lady that was rescued, was introduced to all the family members, and seeing how they interacted, that was really cool. And I liked the son of Tomahawk risking his life to go rescue the damsel in distress. I thought that was neat. As far as the spectacle was concerned. I thought there were some pretty good action sequences in there. I was wondering, though, because I counted four shots that Tomahawk fired, and then he was like, I'm out of bullets. And I was like, you may want to take more than four bullets to a gunfight. I'm just, (laughs) you know, for future reference. Hey, who's the frontier out here? here? (laughs) You're right. He did live all those years, so what do I know? I was like, huh, four, now he's down to the tomahawk. And I really liked the opening horse chase scene, too. I thought that was really well storyboarded. You really got the sense of the chase and the desperation that the lady was in, and it was just kind of well laid out. The art was really good. Uh, I thought that the lines were a little bit rough for the inking, but I thought it worked for the book. It kind of gave it a grittier feel. And I thought there was good natural backgrounds. Uh, I liked the trees and the brush and the canyon, so 
I thought there wasn't really any wasted panel space. It was well laid out and told a very good story. So those are my thoughts. I'll pass it off to Delvin. What did you think? Well, before I start, Jason, I'm assuming that that was the first time that you've read the series? It is, yeah. It's the first time I've read anything of Tomahawk. Okay, let's pass that around real quick. Uh, Pat, have you read the series before? No, it's my first time as well. Jared? First time, bud. Hey, it's a first time for me too, so if anybody wants to sing right about now. Butterfly in the sky. <laughs> I can fly to Where's Rob Kelly out of that reading rainbow? I don't think I can add to that. (laughs) (laughs) I got to tell you, the gift that keeps on giving is just knowing that you can just put a joke out there as a setup and somebody's going to hit it. That's the gift that I need for my Christmas. Delvin is a gift Um, that keeps on giving. So what did I think of the issue? Listening to the comments of Jason and hearing Rob sell it, it's very clear that I didn't appreciate this comic book as much as you two did. And I feel kind of bad for that. And maybe I just rushed reading it. No, not maybe. I definitely rushed reading it. And I should have taken more time to appreciate some of the awesome things that you guys have said about it. I did enjoy the story. The story was simple enough. It read like I would pick up the Sunday comics as a kid, like the Phantom or or something. And I would have read that story where normally it would have taken about, you know, seven to eight weeks or so reading it out of the Sunday comics. You know, I got to read it all in one issue there in a however many pages that it took. So there's a decent amount of action. There was a over-the-top bad villain, the judge. You know how that dude just, he wanted to hang somebody, you know, God love his soul. And so there were some good things about it. I just think that I needed to take more time to appreciate it like Jason did, because it definitely makes me want to go back and read it again. Jared, what do you think? Well, I think the most important thing to bring up about this book is something Rob already mentioned, and then the name fell out of my head. Who penciled this book, Rob? Frank Thorne. Frank Thorne is a name I had never heard of until I looked at this book, and I was blown away. In fact, when I first just started flipping through it, that's kind of what I do. I kind of do a quick flip, and then I really read. I thought, oh, this is, looks like Joe Kubert. And I went back and started really looking at the details, and well, it's not quite. And then I saw that Frank Thorne and I was like, this guy, I, I really, really like Frank Thorne. So God bless us everyone for bringing this to Crusademus, Rob, just for that alone, just for introducing me to Frank Thorne. He's amazing. I'm going to keep an eye out for more of his stuff. He's incredible. Did he ink it as well? Yes, he did. If you want to see some eye-popping Frank Thorne work, find his Red Sonia that he did for Marvel in the 70s. You will not believe that that book was approved by the Comics Code Authority. (laughs) Will do. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you bring that one to Crusade? But otherwise, I was pretty jazzed about this because I've just recently got into Western books and I've just recently got into war books. And I see they're very similar in a lot of ways. I feel like the art style was similar. Again, Joe Kubert was the editor on this and he did a lot of work on war books as well. War books tend to have a not as long main story like this one and a couple of backups. So the formats are very similar. So again, I see a lot of analogy between Western and war books now. I'm really enjoying that. I just started dipping my toe into it about a year 
year ago, thanks to one of our listeners, Kirk, Big Five Army, got me into these kind of books. So this is very exciting to me, and I really enjoyed it. I like the action. I like the art. Cool story. I enjoyed the backup stories. To me, it's like a time capsule of stuff that I never got into before. I haven't really gone back into the 70s and 60s of comic books a whole lot. So this was very exciting, and I appreciate you bringing it, Rob. Awesome. Pat, what do you think? Well, you stole a lot of my thunder. Suck it. So... I do want to say I've started reading through this and right away the art caught my eye. Just I was like, wow, this is really incredible. Just in the opening three pages, you have that, you know, that first three panels of her getting chased and then you see the judge and then a close up of the judge and then bam, you turn the page and then there's that big full page spread of Hawk and hang him high. Yeah, very, cool. yeah. And then just how they put it together. You know, it's not your normal gridded panel throughout this. It's different. Like well, where you see the judge with his hang rope for the first time there's panels around him mm-hmm. kind of like like in a cutaway and it's oh it's just so amazingly awesome very cinematic very, yeah and it's very much i think inspired by the film movement the cinema of the late seven of late 60s early 70s where you had these young filmmakers that were kind of up and coming bringing their techniques to an old genre which was the western i mean this thing is set in the 1800s 1870s or whatever but hawk is definitely sort of like an easy rider yeah. Yeah. cowboy. I mean, you could. You, there's definitely like a counterculture thing going on because that's what was going on in America at the time, even though the book is said in the past. Yeah, definitely. For this artist, is the rest of these like this? Were the ones before this like this as well? Just the layouts and... Yes. I think Frank Thorne is one of the greatest comic book artists to ever walk the earth. And he did a lot of stuff for Warren Magazine, a lot of adult stuff. I think he's just brilliant. And yeah. he's still around. He's yeah. still around. He's like 85 years old, but he is still around. He used to go to conventions and dress as a wizard and Wendy Peeney from ElfQuest with dresses right so oh, cool. He was a real character and these books are just beautiful to look at and that's one of the reasons I appreciated them so much is just because his style doesn't, I mean, yeah, I see some similarities to Joe Kubert, I agree, especially since Joe Kubert did the covers, but I mean, to me nobody else's stuff looks like Frank Thorne. It's just it's just so unique and I love the fact that DC was still publishing genre books mm-hmm. back then, you know, and they were bringing their A-level talent to these sorts of books, so that's something I really appreciated about it. Yeah, I was really surprised surprised. I'm like, oh, I've never read a Western in a long time. I remember as a kid, I'd get the Lone Ranger magazine or comic book, or I'd have the coloring book of the Lone Ranger. The minute I start reading this, it brought me back to that time when I was, you know, mid 70s, just having that comic book or that coloring book as well of Long Ranger. I'm like, I haven't, like Jared said, I haven't read a Western in a long time. So now I'm excited to go, oh, it's a Western. I want to read this. And then just when I opened it up and saw the art, I'm like, I'm all in on this story. It was pretty fast paced all the way through. It didn't dilly dally around at all. It told the story that it had to. It got you interested in the son of Hawk and not knowing who Tomahawk was. And now you know the son and how they brought Tomahawk back in. Was he bigger guy? Was he thin like he is in this? No. Like just the very previous issue, he was like your standard hero build guy. And now I okay. love the way that Frank draws him as an old guy and he looks like an, he actually looks like an old man. He doesn't yeah. look like, he's not a big muscle dude who just has some gray hair. He's actually, he looks like he weighs about 95 pounds. Yeah. He's, you know, I, I, it's something I really, I like, it's really gutsy. Again, I'm, I'm so impressed that there's no announcement in number 130 mm. that they're going to do this. It's just a regular Tomahawk comic. And then the very next issue, all of a sudden we're 50 years ahead of time. And it's and like, there's no letters page announcing it. It's just like, hey kids, you gave us your 15 cents. Now here's son of Tomahawk. <laughs> You said you picked this up later on. Like, were you a little older? I was probably about like 11 or 12. In the very early 80s, I had gone.
gone to my very first comic book store. I'd never even heard of those, but there was one in my neighborhood now when we moved to New Jersey. Before then, I was buying things off of newsstands. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I knew. And then there was like, wow, a whole store devoted just to comic books. I can't believe it. And I was so in love with the concept of back issues mm-hmm. that I spent what meager money I had on just anything that I could get my hands on. And so I would end up buying the cheapest books I could find, even if they weren't something that I would typically would have wanted, like Batman or Justice League. I was like, okay, this is a dollar. I'll get this. And Tomahawk was just one of those books I just happened to come across that was in really beat up condition. So it was cheap. And I'm like, okay, let me, because I literally never seen comic books older than something on a newsstand. I didn't know comic books were like this. I just had no conception of it. So that was one of the first things I ever bought. I mean, this version of Tomahawk only lasted 10 more issues. The book was canceled as of number 140. And they did run letters pages in later issues. And you can see that the reaction is mixed. Some fans are like, hey, this is really cool. I like this new strip. And then there are other fans that are like, hey, what happened to the Tomahawk comic I liked? Go back to old Tomahawk. So mm-hmm. obviously sales didn't take off the way they wanted it to. And it was canceled as of 140. And basically Tomahawk has come back here and there occasionally. Okay. But for the most part, that was it. He was a solo book star. And then he would come back for little brief appearances here and there. They did a three issue backup with him and the unknown soldier in the early 80s. But basically, this is it for Tomahawk as a main star of the DC universe. And you said you went back and got more back issues of this? Yeah, I had no, like I said, I had no knowledge of what Tomahawk was. I thought Son of Tomahawk was just the book. Mm -hmm. And so I went and bought more. And then when I started buying price guides and I could look up things about old comics, I realized that Tomahawk was the main book. And then it was Son of Tomahawk was the big change. And that's something as I get older that I appreciate that, you know, nowadays when a character that I love gets revamped, I'm an old fart, you know, and I'm all like, God, go back to the old days. And yet, (laughs) you know, here they were doing it in 1970 and I was perfectly happy because this was all in my past. I didn't have any affection for the old Tomahawk. So I wasn't offended at the new version. But of course, if they did that nowadays, I'd probably be really mad. So it's all a matter of perspective. It's like, hey, Mm -hmm. son of Tomahawk, if you, to me, if you really appreciate, if you're willing to appreciate they were trying something really different, I think you really be pleasantly surprised. And I will say a lot of the later stories are much more complex. They tackle real world issues like racism and all sorts of stuff. It's this first one is really just basically an adventure story. I think just to set the tone of who this kid is. You get to have some feeling for these characters right away too. I thought that was in the short amount of time I was invested in this story. So very good. Yeah, I liked it. Thanks a lot, Rob, for bringing it. I wanted to add just to the end of that, Pat. You know, sometimes when they do that abrupt shift, for whatever reason, I was thinking of the Dukes of Hazzard and you know how they make it seem like, you know, those new guys are going to be cool and those old guys are really lame. They didn't make an attempt to do that. If anything, it was kind of seen as a passing of the guard where Tomahawk was still there and he was there observing his son and how he took on the bad guys and how he took care of himself. So they did a good job of passing the torch. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right at the end. Good point. Yeah. All right. So uh, now it's time to rate your interest in the series using the official Crusadimus. I'm saying that wrong. Candy cane scale. (laughs) It was perfect. On a scale of one to 12 candy canes, 12 being extremely interested and one being no interest at all. How many candy canes would you guys rate your interest in pursuing more issues of Son of Tomahawk? Let's start with Jason. I have this rated as a seven. Like I said, it wasn't much humor, but there was a lot of heart, some good action. The art was pretty spectacular. And then I'm going to bump it up to eight due to your enthusiasm, Rob. So eight candy canes for me. Cool. Jared? I rate mine based off of how excited I am to pursue it. If I gave it 12, that means I'm going to run out and buy them all on eBay after this. So it's not quite a 12, but it is up there. It's up there to the point where if I see 
see it in a package, you've been, oh, I'm going to grab it. So I'm going to say this is an easy 10 candy caner for me. Nice. Cool. All right. Pat? I'm going to go with Jared. I'm on a 10 on this. I was kind of hesitant going into it, but after just a few pages in and seeing that artwork in it, and then the story actually working with the art as well, you had a good story and the art helped move that story along. I'm going to have a 10. I'm interested. All right. And here to throw off the curve, Delvin? <laughs> <laughs> so are you coming, Delvin? <laughs> <laughs> you saw me coming, but I, I guess I'm going to curve the curve. I'm going to give it an eight. And the reason why I'm going to give it an eight is because I can be sold. I can be sold on someone having a passion for something that I may have overlooked, which is what Crusademus is all about. And since I went through this quickly, it very clearly deserves my attention. And so I want to give it another look. So I'm giving it an eight. Outstanding. All right. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And you mentioned, Jared, about back issues. Like, obviously, any comic that is almost 50 years old is never going to be really cheap because it's 50 years old. But you can pick these up at a reasonable price because they are not collector's items. The average comic fan does not care about an old Western comic from 1970. So you can get these in readable condition for not a lot of money. Nice. Is there a trade of these at all? Have they There is not. It? There is not. This is just completely forgotten by oh. the DC powers that be. No one, there's no, no interest in this at all. The closest you can come to DC remembering Tomahawk at all was there was a one-shot a Vertigo Visions one-shot starring Tomahawk by I think Tim Truman in the 90s that's like the closest he's got to be like a quote-unquote cool character he did appear in the crisis like you see him standing around in okay. the crisis and stuff but that's really about it but yeah these these comics are just a little dusty corner of the DCU yeah that would be kind of cool to see like this be more of a darker comic you know for more up-to-date with a little dark side to it you could really see them revamping this character I will say one of the things because I don't normally gravitate towards westerns and I normally don't like when you have a comic that's chopped up into like four stories like that. I would prefer to see an all tomahawk you know 32 pages and I sat down with this at probably about 11 o'clock last night and I was like God I gotta get through this comic before I go to bed. <laughs> but I found myself really interested in all the stories uh, looking at all the art and like I said I even read the text page. They even suckered me into learning something about Arapaho names. So to give credit where credits do. This was an entertaining read. That's great. That makes me so happy. I feel like I'm the only person that knows about these comics, so I'm happy to hear you guys generally like it. Just to give one last recommendation for the series, I think main selling points are, A, the artwork. You've got the team of Kaniger, Thorne, and Kubert on a comic book, which is just like an all-star baseball team. I mean, that's just an amazing group of people. I love superheroes as much as The Next Man, probably more than The Next Man, actually, but I appreciate that DC had lots of great other genres out there. They did great war comics. They did great westerns. They did great horror. They did some humor. I like revisiting all those weird side trips to the DC universe. And I think these are, I can't say I'm anywhere near an expert of their Western output, but I think these are probably some of the best comics DC did at the time. And I just love the fact that there's this 10 issue run of Son of Tomahawk and that that's all that exists. And the only other appearance uh, that Son of Tomahawk made, he did get his own Who's Who listing drawn by Frank Thorne. Well, nice. Frank Thorne. Brand new name to me, but now yeah. I'm extremely interested. Definitely. I'm learning a lot on these Crusadeness episode. I'm really enjoying these. That will wrap up today's gift-giving session of the 12 Days of Crusademus. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with any of the comics we cover here on the show, or if you give one of our recommendations a try. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter, at Longbox Crusade, Facebook, at Longbox Crusade, email is contact 
at longboxcrusade.com. We'll compile all the feedback for the 12 days of Crusademus and cover it in the next full episode of the Longbox Crusade. If you want to hear more from our special guests, Rob, where can they find you on the interwebs? I do way too many podcasts over on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can find us at fireandwaterpodcast.com. We have a whole bunch of really great shows by a bunch of great podcasters and also Ryan Daly. There's lots of stuff there that uh, you can enjoy. We do stuff on comic books, movies, music, TV, all sorts of amazing stuff. We have a great bunch of guys. So the firewaterpodcast.com. And freaking tastic. And if you're loving Crusademus and didn't get a chance to listen last year, if you scroll back far enough on our feed, you can find all 12 episodes from Crusademus 2017. Give that thumb a workout. You're not working on anything else. It's Christmas time. <laughs> Why are you still listening to this? Why aren't you going back and looking at Crusademus 2017? Outtakes, Jason. Outtakes. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to come back tomorrow to find out what the next gift is from under the tree here in the festively decorated Longbox Crusade Studios. Until then, DJ Christatus, play one of my favorite Christmas jams. discussed our copyright of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended we make no money on this podcast and it is for entertainment purposes only we are just fans that like to share our love of comics <laughs>
Is someone trying to wrestle the microphone out of your hands? No, that's. I think Jason is fighting one of his cats. It's weird to actually hear Rob's voice live. Oh, usually I'm listening to it all the time. Is, it's an honor. That's yes, <laughs> it is. It is an honor. No, I, I, yeah, that too. When, yeah, celebrity podcasting. I'm, I'm with one of my celebrities now. Oh my. Okay, should I start where it says yellow highlights equals? <laughs> Damn it. Action? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's the guest. We've already established that. Rob, this is like, I don't know, what was this, like our 18th recording? And I don't think we've gotten one right yet, so here we go. It makes you feel better. I'm 0 for 2, Delvin, so. <laughs> Let's see. I'm forgetting Jason's name. What, are, what do we call you, Jason? <laughs> the Christmas what? Weasel. The Christmas Weasel. Oh, I held it together for like three minutes. That was nice. Pass it to somebody. I want to pass to somebody. Mm-hmm. I want to review with somebody. Don't mind my buddy. No. <laughs> See, Rob, you just thought I was the crazy one. <laughs> I, know, I know. I now have a perspective I didn't have. <laughs> like, that Jared's all right. <laughs> But yeah, I thought that was that that story was cool as well. But anyway, I'm sorry, Pat, I interrupted you. What? As you know. Well, it wouldn't be to be the first time. There goes that sensor again. I got inspiration. I was like, it. Um... Dylan's been thunderstruck. Now you're mixing your metaphors. Oh, yeah, I'm messing that <laughs> Well, if you guys will allow me, which I know you won't, but let's do about 10 seconds of silence so it'll be easy for me to spot this when I split this episode. And then we'll get started. I can be quiet for 10 seconds. Like, if, if there's nothing else I can do. It's it's be quiet for 10 seconds. Like, I mean, that's the easiest thing in the world to do is to not say a freaking word for 10 whole seconds, right? Am I right? No, you're right. I'm totally going to interrupt you as well, too, because I like to talk a lot as well. And talking is what I do when people, other people are talking. Right, Jason? Well, I mean, I don't interrupt anybody. I'm very polite and just I keep it on mute till it's my turn. Is that in a collected edition or? Delvin wants us to get, get this wrapped up. <laughs> Fake laugh, everybody. <laughs> ah, screw you guys.